0: Oh, howdy ho officer.
1: We've had a doozy of a day. There we were, minding our own business. Just doing some chores around the house when kids started killing themselves all over my property.
0: What, well, were they psychos? Or? They look like psychos? Is that what they looked like? They were vampires. Psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them. I don't give a fuck how crazy they are. So, 1,100 men went in the war. Three hundred and sixteen men come out, and the sharks took the rest June the 29th, 1945. Well,
2: what do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Welcome back to Death Rattle Horror Podcast. We are your mistresses of the macabre, hostesses of horror, and darlings of darkness. Join us as we guide you into the depths. Sorry for our extended absence. I'm sure that all five of you dearly missed us. Um, my original co-host, Jess Bradford, was busy getting married, and I was on vacation, so took a little bit of a break. Uh, But I actually, we have two new co-hosts that are joining me in the virtual studio tonight. And they will, it's okay. You interrupted my spiel. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay, it's okay. So we actually have two new co-hosts that are joining me tonight in the virtual studio. If you guys would like to introduce yourselves, either of you can hop in at any time.
1: Uh Mary, why don't you go first?
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about scary things again that that aren't political. And uh so yeah, I've been uh these are some of my fer- very favorite topics in the whole world and uh I'm I'm glad to be talking about it with some incredibly creepy ladies. How dare and, you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I'm saying, if you see them on Tinder, I'd think twice. That's all. And um, but anyway, I'm excited and I'm excited to speak to all of you. All right, that's
1: it. All right. All right. Uh, Well, I'm Kate, um, and uh, I'm brand new to this podcast, and I'm very excited about it, too. It's funny what you said about Tinder, actually, because I have this joke that I say on every single first date, because I'm really original, where um, I'll say, you know, it's okay. I I know you're not a serial killer, because what are the chances that we're both serial killers? killers. (laughs) Yes! And I think I'm so funny. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm Kate and I'm really, really excited to be talking about horror films. I uh, I got into horror films when I was about 13 because I saw the movie From Hell and I got really obsessed with Jack the Ripper, like really creepily obsessed. It's where my true crime um, interest started as well. And, uh, I got, like, I got deep into Jack the Ripper. I, like, applied to the Royal Jack the Ripper Society to be a ripperologist, and they were like, you're 13, and I was like, you're well, <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um, yeah, and so ever since then, I don't know, I, I really like film in general, and I, I like getting really deep into it, and I find that horror is a really good g- genre for that, because horror is so often conceptual, um, Yeah! And it's so often using... (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Yes, be excited. I'm very interesting. Um, Yeah, I find that it's so often conceptual in that it's it's looking at, you know, what makes us afraid as people, what we're afraid of as a society. And there's just so many great big ideas that are often going on in horror movies. Um, And it's not just... I don't know it's not all about the jump scares though those are fun too um but yeah so i'm super stoked to be a part of this podcast and uh i love meeting new creepy ladies so this was the best and uh, i'm really excited (laughs) about um this uh topic that we're going to be talking about today
0: I did have, um, just really quickly, I had a Tinder profile with me holding a knife that just said, do a dollop of crazy. (laughs) It wasn't as popular as you think.
2: think. Well, my expectations are pretty low, so... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so on this inaugural episode with two new members, actually Jess Bradford is not with us tonight, but she still is part of the show. But uh, so for this first episode, we are discussing three different movies in which there's a female villain. And in these specific movies, it's um, a woman that sort of subverts the norm of being a domestic protector of some kind. So um, we're gonna go ahead and introduce them, give a basic overview. And the cool thing is they're all from, like, very different eras in horror, so uh, we'll just go chronological. Um, Kate, were you doing the first one? I am. Or who was doing the first one? I am
1: doing the first one. I'm, uh, the first one that we're talking about in terms of these, uh, um, bad domestic women (laughs) is, uh, whatever (laughs) happened to baby Jane, um. Yes. 1962 American film produced and directed by Robert Ulrich starring the amazing Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. I won't go off about their feud as much as I want to because that's not what we're here to talk about, but it's really interesting. Watch the show, the show Feud, read up about it. It's cool stuff. So um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is based on a novel by the of the same name by Henry Farrell. And it's about these two sisters who... Um, When they're young, one of them, Baby Jane, is uh, a very successful child star, while her older sister, Blanche, kind of lives in her shadow. Um, But, uh, you know, fast forward a few years, and their fortunes have kind of reversed. Blanche is now a successful film star, and uh, Jane has... Uh, faded into obscurity. But then Blanche is paralyzed in a car accident, which gets blamed on Jane. And uh, fast forward another 30 or so years, which takes us to 1962. Blanche and Jane are living together in a mansion. Um, Jane is clearly um, the sort of vague crazy uh, that comes up in, in movies like this, where she doesn't really have a defined mental illness she's just nuts um she uh dresses as if she's still a child star very childish with like ribbons in her hair and lacy dresses and she wears absolutely grotesque makeup you've got to at least look up stills from the film it's amazing what betty davis did to herself she looks pretty hideous um so blanche relies on uh jane uh to care for her um but she's actually planning on selling the house that they live in and putting Jane in a mental institution which Jane finds out about um so Jane kind of uh locks Blanche away and starts to torture her it's um it, yeah. yeah it's a it's a pretty wild movie um it's very interesting to have these two Um, middle-aged women uh, and and it was unusual for the time to have a a movie that's so solely about two middle-aged women um, and really has very few there's a piano player a next-door neighbor but really they're just bit parts it's it's all about these two women and um, yeah so that's the that's the overview of the movie.
2: Yes, and what a movie it was. Mm-hmm. I just watched it <laughs> I just watched it for the first time like a week ago, so it's fresh. Okay, so the next movie we watched is called Alice, Sweet Alice. And yes. It's actually I saw someone refer to it as a proto slasher. <laughs> it came out <laughs> it came out in nineteen seventy-six in the sweet spot between two years after Black Christmas and two years before Halloween. And it basically is uh, somewhat similar uh, at the beginning from Baby Jane, whereas there's one daughter that's really cute and sweet, played by Brooke Shields, and the other daughter is kind of awkward and creepy and not nearly as beloved, and she's obviously very jealous of her cuter sister. So it's the day of Brooke Shields' communion, And shockingly, she ends up being murdered in the church. So the basic premise of the movie is suspicions over whether her sister Alice did it, because that's what it's sort of being set up to look like. And um, other attacks and another murder happens, and it's kind of like the first half of the movie, you're not quite sure exactly who the killer is, because they wear this super creepy way ahead of its time baby doll mask and oh. yeah it was creepy and um but then you kind of get the big reveal which i won't spoil here but i'm sure we'll spoil in our discussion <laughs> um uh, and it was just a really interesting movie because you know it was definitely well there weren't that many slasher movies yet at all and definitely not any where the main suspect is a little girl and uh the movie was directed by a guy named Alfred Soul and he did a couple other movies but nothing that anyone's ever heard of. And the most recent one was in 1984 and it's called Cheeseball Presents. <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Okay. I have no
2: idea what that could be about. It's a TV movie, so I don't know what that could be, but and really there's a couple actors and actresses in it that are in other things, but they're not really, like, names. Only Brooke Shields, and she's in the movie for, like, pretty short time. Um, and the girl that played Alice, who was really good, she was only in one other movie, and then apparently just quit acting. So, that's a shame, but... So, that's the basic overview. Um, yeah.
0: All right. Um, and so... The last film that we're going to talk about is, I mean, I could not be more excited <laughs> about it, is Hereditary. Yes. I, it's so good. And and, and in keeping with the uh, the other films, it's uh, not only about family relationships, but specifically the strange and sort of toxic relationships, like female relationships in between family, where you probably... Should have said goodbye to these people years ago, but there's a sense of guilt that keeps you together, and that was it was a bad decision, um, not cutting them out of your lives. But so, anyway, the director is Ari Aster. This was his first film directing. What? He's been a part of, uh, yeah, that is shocking to me. This was his first film directing. Um, he's worked on other great films before, but um, in different capacities, but. Uh, and the leads were uh, Gabriel Byrne and Toni Collette. Who I, I think I think Toni Collette's going to be put up for an Oscar. Well, if she isn't, it's it's a it's a shonda. <laughs> but it's I mean it it really is. It's amazing, and it, and it works on a couple of different levels, and in the way a lot of horror movies do, where you're not entirely sure. If there's something legitimately sinister going on, or if it's if it's um, a mental illness like coming to, to fruition and, and hereditary is the fact that this mental illness runs throughout the family. So there's that tension throughout the film, but it, 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 there is a focus, and and we'll see this play in the other films where you know the the mother and daughter maintain a relationship. And everybody would have been better off had she followed her instincts and cut the ties with her mother long ago. Um, and I, in a, I, I think it, when you were talking about how you enjoyed horror because of those conceptual, it, the the possibilities of horror. I think one of, one of the other things about horror is that it 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 reveals like very primal things but very true things about ourselves and one of those like very true things is that we do feel a lot of guilt about disassociating with our family members and we feel like we're the bad person for doing that but you know sometimes that's actually the right thing to do to protect other people in your life mm-hmm. so um You know, and taking it to the extreme is kind of a way to illustrate that. So anyway, that's that's the third film. Yeah. (laughs) So you guys just want to
2: hop
1: in there and discuss? Yes. Hell yeah. Um, I really I like the way you set up Hereditary because I feel like Hereditary in so many ways is a culmination of this kind of genre of the domestic female villain um and uh because these these films and not just the three that we're talking about but all of these films that are about um you know daughters mothers sisters wives it's all about the fact that women um inhabit the most intimate spaces in our lives and also the fact that there's so much fear in the idea of family um and hereditary unlike all the other films it's it it ratchets all of this up to 11 it's fear of our children what if we can't control them um there's fear of our parents you know what what did our parents pass on to us and and what if their bad example makes us bad parents and then there's fear of what's in ourselves what if we don't love our children like we're supposed to and you know what do we pass on to them and it's it
0: and are we predestined exactly you know, is it, you know, yeah. But I think with the first, uh, the first, whatever happened to baby Jane, that's a good example, is, you know, uh, when you were talking about the domestic fear, and I think when we were talking about like what role that horror serves, I think one of the primal fears, and especially surrounding women, is that because women are caretakers they are around people when they're at their most vulnerable when they're born when they're dying when they're sick and so what if that wor- woman had bad intentions mm-hmm. and now you're in a position where maybe you can't you're not at full capacity or you're weak and and if this person wants to harm you and they have access to you so it, that it's so
1: ripe for horror It's what I find a little um, misogynistic about a lot of these female villains in in early horror. No, it's that that it's all about the fact that they're um, perverting their natural roles. There's nothing more horrifying than a mother who's a bad mother or, you know, a woman who's obsessed with regaining her youth, but is actually this hideous old crone. It's very much about women being unwomanly and that being like such a fear Um, And that's what I liked so much about Hereditary, because Hereditary didn't feel misogynistic in that way, in the same way that, um, I don't know, like Baby Jane is all about... Not, there's not only horror in the fact that jane is is torturing blanche and like starving her and everything but also there's the, the tension between the sisters of who's prettier and who's more famous and um you know the, all the envy and jealousy and um and it's the same thing with uh, alice sweet alice it's, it's this competition at first set up between these two girls of like like that women are always supposed to be competing over who's the prettiest and who's the best
2: I get it. Well, yeah. No, I can definitely agree with that in a way. Yeah. But well, it was the 60s oh, and 70s. Exactly. So, it's hard to expect totally progressive viewpoints, but it is a uh, progressive at least def- uh Baby Jane, you know, as you were saying, having these two women actresses that are allowed to be the main act- the main stars even though they're quote old. And being allowed to be less than their, you know, perfect... You know, they were perfect-looking in real life, but in the movie, they were allowed to be sort of less-than-looking. And even though that... uh, Joan Crawford's character in the wheelchair, she's the the hero. She still was looking kind of, like, haggard and run-down. I mean you know you would almost expect her to be like still in like perfect makeup and everything coming out of that time period in Hollywood but she was allowed to just be kind of not nearly as glamorous as normal so that was kind of something but I definitely think that the it was sort of basic for the filmmakers to be like yeah two women obviously it's going to be this competitive thing between the two of them because they can't possibly think of any other conflict Mm
1: -hmm.
0: well and what I think uh, uh, Baby Jane illustrates to me that uh, in the most grotesque and tragic way is that that uh, the Betty Davis character the point at which she had the most power and leverage in her life is when she was Baby Jane Mm -hmm. right Right? and so that's where she stayed and because of her lack of self-awareness she doesn't realize that people no longer perceive her that way but it's sad to me that out of this whole woman's life experience that being an adorable child was the best she was ever going to get out of life
1: exactly you know
0: because that's that's her that's the only thing she has to offer anybody and so, you know, for her to ever feel valuable, she keeps those clothes on and, and p- keeps putting that, you know, cakey like pancake makeup on, and it, it, it's almost as the, a, a perversion of expectation. You know, it there there it it almost seems kind of like a like a rebellion in a way of sorts. Uh, it, it it is very very sad, and I don't know it. I you know to be stuck in that what you know it, it it's like after you hit puberty you were useless to the rest of us mm-hmm. you know and it's the the same way with both of those actresses like after you hit thirty five why why are you still coming for auditions?
1: yeah exactly right these two women were incredible stars in their heyday um i mean all about eve and joan crawford was considered to be the most beautiful woman in the world and then it's oh yeah and then they hit middle age and it's like what are you even for anymore and then they got to do this film and as much as i love that unfortunately what came of that was not um a resurgence of good roles for middle-aged women but instead the like what they call oh god what do they call it the psycho bitty horror horror genre where it's all about crazy old women and it just it feels like instead of being instead of understanding oh hey we can make a movie with middle-aged women in it and it'll still be a huge success and a great film they were like what if we kept making movies about how creepy and gross old women are
0: (laughs) i mean to be fair as a child they were my heroes i didn't really understand that like um oh god what is it called the watcher in the woods with betty davis is the witch isn't that the one that it is (laughs) where <laughs> I haven't seen it, it. it it's scary as hell I mean yeah she played a lot of psychos and I was into it as a kid but um, I could see how it could be dis- problematic later in life but um, yeah I again it's it's because you you've you've outlived your usefulness mm-hmm. you know and and they they've made it pretty clear like after your childbearing years you're just a, a you know, a lunatic. Yep.
2: Yeah, exactly. You're like someone's grandma, or you're like a lunatic, and sadly, it's like not really changed much in no, the last not at all fifty plus years. I mean, even though there are look at a movie like um, the one that just came out. It's called like Book Club. Yep. It's just a bunch of uh, you know older women in a book club, and that's basically the plot of the movie and they're, like, you know, have going on dates and, like, hooking up with dudes, but those are so rare. And yeah. even still, like, women in, like, their... Like, I remember, like, Maggie Gyllenhaal saying she had auditioned, she was, like, 37, and she was trying to get into some movie, and the actor she was going to be paired up with was, like, 52, and they thought she was too old to be his, like, girlfriend. There's... And it was just, like, that's insane the, in this day and age. There's a
1: graph that charts well, and, um, ma- in, like, um, mainstream romance films that charts how old the male leads are compared to the female leads and never shall oh, the two good. meet. The lines are so far apart, it's actually pretty upsetting to look at. Uh,
0: well, you know, what I was going to say, if, if, if you wonder if, if attitudes have changed dramatically just listen to the descriptive words used for female politicians of a certain age. Yeah. As opposed to Orrin Hatch or Grassley who are in their eighties.
1: What's the second thing? You take...
0: said... Uh <laughs> Grassley is uh, another Grassley. uh politician who's in his eighties. Yeah, but they don't they don't get the nearly the same sort of descriptors as women do. And um and they deserve it. Yeah, they're pretty nuts. So, not the women, the the men. They're out of control.
2: But, right, yeah. No, it's totally horrible. I mean, I think it's evolved some, but not nearly as much as you would expect it to have in the last 50 years.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... it's, But, I mean, if you think about it, it, it there's a point where... You know after you've sort of raised children and maybe you've gone through a marriage or two you know you get kind of fed up and i could see why you would want to convince people that you you aren't worth listening to once you get it figured out <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah oh that that bitch is crazy and i'm like actually no you really should expect more from your uh partner like they're like but she is insane that's very true yeah <laughs> but uh oh but we the the last two films uh are on the other end of the spectrum which is we also they feature creepy creepy little mm-hmm. girls so, um, well, I mean,
1: the little girl in Hereditary isn't that creepy, and if she is, it's not really her fault.
0: <laughs> it it isn't her fault. I am. I do find it curious that you did not find her creepy, considering she cut a bird's head off with scissors. Uh,
1: kids will be kids. You didn't cut birds' heads off when is you that were. You? C- yeah. <laughs> what? Oh well, uh, just me, I guess. But no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh-uh. No, I mean, yeah. I guess I guess she was a little creepy, but I didn't, I don't know. The rest of the movie really overshadowed her creepy for me. That's true.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said there was a there's a a, a solid justification for her behavior um given at the end. I don't I don't see. I feel like it's so new. I hate to like well, spoil it entirely. But
2: I'll, I'll post a thing in the show notes like, hey, we're going to be spoiling Hereditary if you haven't seen it. Uh, I mean, yeah. they probably should just get off their ass and go watch it because yeah. it's out for rental.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can
1: you can buy yeah, it. I it's mean, out of theaters. I feel like at this point, if you're going to listen to this, then it's very yeah, game. It's fair game. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so from like starting right now if if you have not seen Hereditary and you keep listening it's at your own risk, right? Like What are you doing? Just turn yeah. off
1: the podcast and go see Hereditary and then off. come back and listen to our very come interesting back. opinions on it.
0: Yeah. Exactly. I, mean, <laughs> I actually I I am one of those types of people that I watched like 20 analyses of, specifically of this movie just to see because it was, it was, uh, oh, I can't even tell you. It's no, challenging. I understand.
2: It is challenging. I read a ton of like thought, think pieces on it after I watched it because I was like, I need help processing what I just saw. I'm not sure exactly oh, yeah. what was all going on there because there was, like, the last 30 minutes of the movie was pure chaos. Like, there was so much oh, yeah. going on. It's impossible to tell what you're like, it's possible to take it all in. So I went and read all these think pieces and then, like, just thought about it for, like, hours and was like, oh, okay, and, like, started kind of putting it all together. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of necessary. Um, otherwise, you might kind of miss the point.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I – it, it heightened so quickly. I wasn't sure – wait, is this meant to – is this really happening or is this an allegory? Is this like, is this like a psychotic episode? Like it, you know, I wasn't really sure, you know, like like a lot of horror films, you know, you're not really sure.
1: It was like the witch in that, um, I, I really thought that it was all allegorical right up until the moment that it wasn't. And then I, and I was still on board, but I was, I was like, okay, this is real. All right. This is happening. Because it it feels so allegorical because there's so many ways to kind of explain it away at first, especially when she talks about the mental illness that runs in her family and everything. And you're thinking, okay, it's it's an exploration of our fears about what if our minds... Play tricks on us and you know what if what we perceive to be real isn't real and you know what about our kids what what like what if we pass on bad genes to our kids but no no it's all real uh, Grandma was in a cult and uh, <laughs> yeah and uh, a... not any cult like, a... not any cult not a new age cult in uh, in a cult where cutting all your right. head off appears to be a really big deal. they're all about the headlessness. Yeah
0: right it's uh it's a it's a satanic cult they they specifically uh it's one of is it one of the seven sons of satan paimon uh that they
2: he's from he's from that book Key of key of solomon i don't really know anything about it
0: yeah i but he but he's like he is like a a son of satan right like they're related
1: uh maybe i'm looking at I his wikipedia page it, <laughs> and um you know uh he's quite i'm I'm going through his instagram uh on his facebook page it uh it doesn't say if satan's his his dad but uh he's definitely subservient (laughs) to lucifer um but he's like up there in the like uh oh i want to say panopticon but that's not the right word in the in the pantheon of demons he's up there yeah. yeah, so uh yeah grandma's yeah, right. in this uh, payment cult and uh I the um what was so interesting in hereditary was that it, the storyline goes through these three generations of women and that um the grandma wanted the girl to be um to be uh the um apparently payment can only you know come into the body of a guy or whatever but you know the the daughter was the one that she wanted to be the vessel and oh god there's that creepy creepy little split second where you see one of the um tiny the little um scenes that uh oh i don't remember tony collette's character's name um but one of the uh miniatures. Oh, where she's trying to Yeah, where the her. grandma's trying to breastfeed her baby. Um,
0: yeah, that's th- that's not good. Cool. No. <laughs>
1: yeah, it,
0: it, and then she did a miniature mm-hmm. about it. Well, this is what happened because originally she you know, they needed the son, but Tony Collette that was the time where she actually put down boundaries and that's that's what I was sort of talking about earlier where you know, a lot of these movies, what they sort of address is, you know, if these people were not our family, we would never see them again. We would have no problem separating them from our lives, you know, because they're very toxic. But, you know, there's this eternal struggle where you feel that, you know, that you have to keep them around because, like, what do you owe your mother or your sister? And in this case, her mother worked her way back into her life, so even though she missed the chance to groom the son, which would have been the ideal vessel for Paymon to be reincarnated in, she she was able to get him into the daughter. But she was not an appropriate vessel. So even though Payman's spirit was in the daughter, um, he it was it was always just waiting for the the son to be ready for the, you know,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. I think what they said was he can go into anybody but it can only be only if he you can put him into a male in the bloodline of the leader will you get all the riches in the world or whatever mm-hmm. Um, so, I think right. they were just waiting for their chance to
1: get out peter and it 's so it 's yeah. so interesting the way that they show the predestiny of all of it, like when he's when he's when he 's driving to the party, when Peter the son is driving to the party, oh. and it, you see that the symbol on the telephone pole, which will you know ultimately when he 's trying to drive Charlie to the hospital, will be her cause of death but I mean like the predestination of all of it that this has all been planned and in the making before they were born, possibly before their mother was born. Um, it, it, it has this horrible feeling that we're kind of trapped like in, in a in a metaphorical sense that we're kind of trapped by our genealogy. We're trapped by what our grandparents and what our parents have done, and that we're kind of predestined to follow a certain path because of the family that we're born into
2: definitely yeah
0: yeah that free will is is you know kind of an illusion but i thought you know uh, that's why hereditary works on so many levels because you know and people pointed this out but like even in the classroom they brought up the the sort of um they talked about the sort of greek myths that talked about predestiny as well but it's You know, as as a parent, I think also one of your primal fears is not only are my children going to be cursed with, you know, if I have a mental illness, are they going to have to live the kind of life that I've had to live or suffer the way that I've suffered, but also am I doomed to become Mm -hmm. my own mother, you know, and so you're like, you know, despite all the therapy and despite all the, you know, workshops that I do is like, how much control do you really have over your own genetics? Right, and so, uh, how much choice do you really have over your life, or are you just acting out like the the product that you were born as? So, I I think that is like a a, a really, I mean, it's a really deeply rooted fear, you know, for for you know both parents and that 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 there's something you can't escape, you know, if you have a certainly if you have been traumatized as a child by a parent and you're like is this going to show up
1: you can Even definitely later you can see that, that in tony collette's character in the way that she she clearly worries about um you know will will she be a good parent because she didn't have good parents and will her experience yeah. with her parents does that prevent her from really loving her children the way that she's supposed to
0: Yeah. I I I mean that's it. Just
1: it is. It's so good. (laughs) So
0: good. And I mean, and well, and also the reason, and I'm not like I won't. I don't want to ruin any of the scary parts, but like in the last twenty minutes, like it was, it was. For people who like scary things, it was like. Uh, like the ode to joy is yep. scary. I, mean, <laughs> I, was like, I was like huh, I wonder where Tony Collette is. There she is. What are you up to, Tony? <laughs> and it was like <laughs> Oh, it was a crazy Like major
1: major I spoiler mean, alert, but um, I I read oh, yeah, this yeah, yeah. interview with the director where he said that the image of the mother hovering up by the ceiling, sawing off her own head, was one of the first things that he came up with um, when it came to the movie. And I was like, yeah, I can see that, because that image is just stuck... That and Charlie's decapitated head lying on the highway are two of the things that I remember most distinctly visually about the film.
0: What was... Okay, this is so terrible, but I watched it with um, my friends that are a couple... And when Charlie got decapitated, the guy leaned over. He says, I don't think she's gonna be in the <laughs> <laughs> like, we laughed so hard, but it was so uncomfortable. And of course, like, you know, obviously, the minute you saw those like nuts being chopped, I was like, Charlie's a goner. Like, I didn't know how, but I mean, there's no way. That you have that many, like, walnuts around, and Charlie's going to end up okay.
1: The scene was just played so well and so tensely because, you know, he's trying to get her to the hospital and everything. And then the fact that that the the decapitation happens, but you don't see it. You don't see what's happening in the backseat. You don't see what's happening with her body. And then he just drives home, parks the car, and goes to bed. And then when he wakes up in the morning, like, you're just, you're... Part of you is like, what the fuck are you doing? And then the other part is just imagining what Tony Collette is gonna see when she opens up that God. car door. And then the fact that they wait so long to show you that Charlie's been decapitated because you don't really know. You like it might have just it might have taken her whole body out of the window, and the back seat might just be full of blood. Like it might have just smashed her face, and you you don't know until they show it to you, but they wait so long to show it to you. It's, it's incredibly good filmmaking.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing is and what we talked about, and I think that um, actually we talked about um, this when we uh, first saw it, is that it reminds me of the sort of horror of the seventies where it's, you know it's show don't tell you know and I, I think a lot of times uh, in modern horror they sort of um, you know they they they're not graphic for graphics sake and, and and of course you don't always have to be but I mean there were some images where I mean, they didn't have to show it but um but man i, I I appreciated it <laughs> because, again, like, when, yeah, when she was on the ceiling and sawing, I, I, I did not expect it, and I actually screamed. Yeah, know? I'm pretty but, sure like,
2: I did too, like, in the movie theater.
0: <laughs> but, like, like I was, like, a little too delighted, you know? The, it wasn't, like, a scare. <laughs> I was like, ooh! No, you didn't! <laughs> I couldn't oh, believe man. it. <clears throat> I was like, I couldn't believe it. I mean, just, there were so many, I... Like, there were so many shots where I was like, I can't believe he did that, you know, and it just such a payoff, you know, it was, and, like I said, it paid off. It wasn't, like, um, just gratuitous, because there are some times with movies where I'm like, are you just, like, trying to torture women so somebody can, like have fun with this later because it's really creepy like in a hostile way or right yeah but it, it, it was not that way like it was like it, anything that was sort of grotesque it was meant to shatter you yeah you know? and it was
2: it was there for like a good reason like um it it advanced the story in some way it wasn't just random you know blood uh for no reason, just to like trying to scare you, but it was like a part of the whole picture, and I totally, uh, it totally reminded me of movies like The Witch, yes, but also movies like Rosemary's Baby,
0: yes, where yes, yes, it's yes, just yes, like yes.
2: this, it's like kind of starts out pretty slow and it's like slowly mounting tension. You're like, is this going to go somewhere? Is this going to pay off? but in the very end it totally pays off and you're like oh shit like this totally it kind of brings a lot of meaning to like the first half of the movie that may have been kind of confusing or slow um it all kind of like ties back in and it really was like so masterfully done um pacing wise oh yeah yeah
0: it, and like I said, it was like um, you know it, it it rewarded mm-hmm. you. You know what I mean. It it they there wasn't they didn't they didn't present anything that that wasn't explained. Like and, and like if you if you were to go back and watch it, there wasn't there wasn't anything that. Wasn't a part of the whole, and uh, it was just really satisfying. Like that, there was just really well thought out.
1: It's one thing yeah. that always bothers me when people say that they don't like slow horror movies because, uh, or these kind of movies that start off slow, and people are like, "Oh, it's so boring," and I only got twenty minutes into it. Um, because so many horror movies like this are are so deliberately paced. You have to set up a status quo before you can disrupt it. So a movie like this has right. to set up all the characters before you can fuck with them. A movie like The Witch has to slowly introduce you to what these people's lives are like before it starts taking it apart. And uh, we'll talk more about this when we do our when we do our f- future episode on uh, faux eighties horror movies. But a movie like Mandy is, <laughs> is specifically slow going at first because it's all about you have to see the kind of peace and tranquility before you can appreciate how wrenching it is having that peace and tranquility taken away from you so it yeah films like this i i i don't find them slow or anything it's just and especially a film like this which is so good at creating this horrible creeping dread of you know everything is just slightly off and you don't know what's going to happen but you know that something is absolutely going to happen and you know personally for me with movies like that i don't need jump scares or anything to keep me invested no. you know i'm in
0: yeah i my like i like i said i i really like a slow burn and i also to me it is a lot more effective that you know if if a movie can sort of elicit, that's the other thing is because if it is something, if it's just like gratuitous violence or you think I'm like in no way emotionally invested, I don't know who these people are, you know, right. All I know is that they've made terrible decisions and they're in a very dangerous place, you know, like that's all I know. (laughs) You know, um, they opened a hell portal. That's what I know. (laughs) And, uh, but you know on the other hand when you've been introduced to somebody and it's like I mean this is a suburban mother I mean this is an artist I've met this person a hundred times I know like a dozen people like this you know and then to see it sort of fall apart little by little I mean that that is you know and then you know to sort of meet the teenage sentence like I know I know who that person is I've met that person a thousand times and so it's like there's you have something to lose you know you you empathize with somebody and then you see you you can empathize as they start to lose things and there's stakes and so when you just start out with sort of violence and chaos it 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 doesn't it it, it doesn't matter you know there's no it it, you don't mind but one way
1: that really good directors get around that and now i'm thinking of alice sweet alice and and things like um Psycho and Scream the one way that really good directors get around oh. that is by casting somebody so famous that you don't think they're going to get killed <laughs> and then they do and yes. uh, or it, like and it's so jarring because it immediately tells you that nobody is safe.
0: Yeah, that's genius. I and, and you're right cuz it it was um yeah, like with Hitchcock, no one saw that with yeah. Janet Leigh. Like no one saw that with Janet Leigh, and with Alice Sweet Alice. This is such a very good point. Is that, um, and this was also, um, sort of new to the '70s. Like certainly with The Exorcist, is that to have anything that was anti-Catholic. Um, I mean that was I. That, I can't even tell you how taboo that was. I mean like it, the there was um sort of an update in the church where they stopped saying like they stopped like saying mass in latin and that made people insane so if you can imagine that they would have a murder taking place in a church involving children i mean that was it was just so taboo so and you know to have this And, I mean, you know how, like, Brooke Shields looked like a child. She looked like an absolute angel, you know. And then to have it possibly be her sister. And, again, look, we were talking about it being one of those primal fears where, and, I mean, I've, like, watched every single special on YouTube about this. And I'm sure you have, too, being a true crime fan. But, like, when people, they're like, I think my son is going to straight up kill somebody, you know. And then you, like, talk to the son and they're like, I like to see rabbits die. <laughs> oh my you know? God. That was very creepy. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's like that it, that's another like terrible fear like parents have They're like I don't think they're capable of empathy and I'm not. Um I don't know what to do about it, you know. It's so
1: interesting the way that the film switches gears as well in terms of fear. You know, there's there's the fear of uh, exactly of like Could a child do this? Which then morphs into, and then now, spoiler alert, plot twist or whatever, that it's not Brooke Shields at all. That it's this woman who is, you know, punishing sinful people. And, uh, you know, because her daughter was murdered during her first communion or something. Right. like it's uh it's so interesting that that the the film moves from one fear about female villains, which is you know could a an innocent young girl secretly be a murderer to another fear which is mothers um going overboard with like a maternal instinct um you know yeah. and it, like the it's very similar to like Carrie where the mother is at once a horrible manipulative mother and then also crazy religious um but it, it it's it's a theme in a lot of these movies with with women um with m- um their maternal instinct driving them crazy movies like inside or the hand that rocks the cradle or any of these about like women yes, stealing each yes. other's babies and stuff
0: yeah yeah uh, i had a thought it doesn't
2: I... happen <laughs> <laughs> true. I wonder if Friday the 13th was inspired by Alice, Sweet Alice.
0: I actually have the same thought. When we were talking about female villains, I was like, I wonder why nobody ever talks about Friday the 13th. Right, yeah. yeah.
2: I don't know. Probably because they forget that the original wasn't a middle-aged woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It actually i had actually forgotten when but when we rewatched it recently for our epic uh we discussed every friday the 13th movie which i don't recommend i don't recommend doing it that was actually the second episode of this podcast um i actually it's funny because jess my other co-host had never seen any of them and she was legitimately shocked at the start at the first one and I was watching it, and I hadn't actually watched the first one in, like, probably 10 years. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it's Jason. But then I was like, oh, wait, it is his mom the first time around. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, um, yeah, I do think, uh, and again, I, I don't know if women necessarily are scared of other women i could see how men oh totally
1: i when i okay okay (laughs) like when i think about this is why i I, I referred to this as misogynistic because especially especially in (laughs) in the 60s and 70s in hollywood there were not exactly a lot of women involved in the production of these films from the writing and directing standpoint and so what it
0: I find oh, that I know. shocking, unbelievable. <laughs> um,
1: but what it so it, when these films, when I say that they're reflecting like societal fears, they're really reflecting like white heterosexual male fears because, unfortunately, yeah. as it still is the case most of the time, um, that is considered to be the default point of view for society is is white heterosexual men. So th- very much, these movies are about what men fear in women and uh i have a great note in my notes in my little outline for this show um and i'm just gonna read it verbatim because i think it's funny it's also pretty fucking bogus that there's a whole genre of films about women driven so crazy by dick that they start get that they get obsessed and start murdering people you know like fatal (laughs) attraction and uh um And movies like that about women who are just like, what, I can't have your penis anymore? I will kill you. You know. I won't be ignored, Dan. Very good.
0: I love... Oh, God, I love that movie. She is super scary. Mm -hmm. I know. I I was definitely rooting for her. I, like, that movie did not turn out the way I had hoped. But... I was rooting for the bunny,
2: but
1: uh, yeah. oh
0: yeah, Sorry. didn't work out.
1: <laughs> no, That's no. why Gone Girl is a great, um, like it yeah. to me. I was hoping anyway that it would usher in a new era of female villains because, like, yeah, I wanted her to win. I was like, "Fuck this guy!" Yeah, fake your own death and frame him for it. Let's do this.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was awesome, and I would be on board except for the whole NPH scene. That um, yeah, that was traumatizing. <laughs> yeah, you, I don't think that yeah. that was. I don't think it was like that in the book. I think she like. Um, I think she like overdosed him on sleeping pills or something. Uh, but the movie yeah. was so visceral, and I was like not expecting that, and the whole audience in the theater was just like shocked.
1: <laughs> you didn't enjoy seeing yeah. NPH's enjoy seeing limp, bloody penis. Limp, bloody penis. <laughs> not even a little. <laughs> I, I another reason that movie is such a feminist classic is because there's no female nudity, but there is two dicks in it. So, yay! Oh no, there is totally female nudity in that movie. What am I talking about? Um,
0: well, and there's kind of lingus. Yeah, uh, thankfully,
1: <laughs> which there yeah. never is in any media. And I...
0: Yeah, and I know that because I watched it with my uh, eleven-year-old niece. Oh uh, my god! Why? uh, Because I'm the worst aunt (laughs) ever, and it was a very awkward conversation. um, Oh my god! He was just tickling her belly button. (laughs) Yeah. Oh god. I. I mean, I. I. It was like I wanted to like football tackle her, and be like, no. That (laughs) is so funny. Uh,
2: I saw it it on a first date. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was
1: awkward. Oh, well, the guy was
2: a douche anyway.
1: (laughs) There you go. That's that's the good litmus Um, test. Watch movies like that on a first date and be like, so what do you think? (laughs) Right,
0: right.
2: Yeah, no, that's very true. And if a guy can't watch horror movies, he can't hang, sorry.
1: Yeah. I watched the majority of horror movies with my partner because, um, not only am I, uh, still after, oh God, like almost 20 years of watching horror movies, a little bitch about it. Um, but, (laughs) <laughs> uh, he he appreciate he likes and appreciates the same kind of horror movies that I do, and it's also just really nice to have a sounding board afterwards because clearly I'm someone who likes to talk about things, and so it's really nice after a movie yeah. to be like, oh my god, and what did you think of the symbolism and blah 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 blah, you know? So uh, yeah, I uh, he's he's cool. It's one of the things I like about him. I think our third date we watched The Duck. and Duk. I was like, oh. and I was like, yeah, I'm in. Like, he's yeah, cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's
2: kind of an emotionally draining uh, movie to watch on a date. Oh yeah, I, put, I, definitely, didn't put put yeah. I definitely didn't put out after. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> good on you. <ya. laughs> uh, yeah, I watch most of my horror movies like by myself with my dog at night while I'm like doing arts and crafts. Uh, but I do like sort of like live tweet them to like specific people. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not really tweeting. I'm just like. You know, texting like, oh, I'm watching this horror movie and this and such and such just happened. And it's just like, they're not actually watching the movie, but they're still entertained by my take on it, I like to say, or I like to tell myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I definitely make it unnecessarily scary for myself. I watch it in the middle of the night when no one's around and, you know, and it's, very very quiet there's no nobody even on the internet and so (laughs) you just get to sit with your thoughts oh
1: man what massacres. i uh i never yeah
2: definitely i never am scared by movies anymore like i'll sit here and watch i watch a horror movie basically every night the last couple of weeks because it's been like fall and i'm just like coloring in a coloring book (laughs) watching us yeah. (laughs) and it's just like i i don't know hereditary did freak me out though like i wasn't scared but i was freaked out you know because it was like just creepy i'm
0: trying to think of like what the last i mean scary i don't well like i don't you know like if i see something like hush for example then yeah like if there's like a squirrel on the roof then you know it creeps me out you know then but yeah i don't know if i've like yeah i don't know like scary scary i get scared
1: by movies sometimes when i see them in theaters and i think it's just because it's so loud that i get like i get scared in that i jump but i don't actually like i'm not scared that something's gonna happen i just get physically like i will jump um but I I get disturbed by movies for sure. Um, like a,
0: yeah, those are my favorite kinds. Like <laughs>
1: sinister was a movie that I found disturb. The first one, the second one sucked balls, but the first one was a movie that I like. I found <laughs> disturbing. Or um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I think the first time I can remember being really really affected by a movie was when I saw The Mist when it came out, because the ending was just <laughs> oh. such. A horrible, worst-case scenario thing. I, like... I, I like... I was depressed for, like, a week after watching it. I was also probably, like, 16. But I was, like, in bed, like, in a pile of dirty Kleenexes depressed. Because I was like, well, (laughs) what if that happens? Fuck everything. You know?
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, your life's ruined from then on out.
0: Yeah, that was... I mean of all possible I yeah, it was I did not see that coming. Of all the, the ways that I saw that playing out, it was I did not anticipate it.
2: It was dark. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was the darkest timeline. <laughs> it really was. Well, uh do you guys uh, want to wrap up this episode and yeah. like, take a break and then do the next one? I think so.
0: Sounds good. Sounds great. Sounds good.
2: All right, I'm just going to like use the restroom, but um don't you dare. Take a break. Uh how should we wrap this up? <laughs>
0: Um, I don't know.
1: I don't know because I mean, I mean, you do the intro, so I think that it's up to you how we wrap it up. You can do the outro, or is that too much pressure? pressure. (laughs) Um,
2: hmm. I'll meditate on it. But for now,
0: for now, I will just say good night. Farewell. Good. Farewell, okay, good night and watch your back don't trust Ugh. your family exactly the the key yeah, here
2: exactly. is never trust anybody never love anybody sleep with one eye open exactly, <laughs> exactly. that's the lesson we want to leave you with yes okay right. so
0: End.